0: The Actual Play podcast is a genre that is growing rapidly, but how can we help promote its growth into an enjoyable form of theatre? This week, join me, Zach Walsh, as I talk to Nathan about his new free-to-play role-playing game, Domains of Shadows. We discuss Shakespeare, not decor, and role-playing as an art form. Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover projects you may not have heard of. This week, I am very excited and happy to be joined by Nathan. We're going to be discussing his new system and game, Domains of Shadows. Nathan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Zach. This is a really cool project. I haven't really seen anything that's designed to be like this, so I'm really interested to kind of pick your brain a little bit about what is going to be included in Domains of Shadows.
1: Yes, I've, uh, this has been in progress for... Uh, I've been told an unusual amount for a project this size has been in progress since the winter of 2018, so I have a lot of thoughts gathered and many different things I could state. I did some pretty extensive research before I started creating this, so I should have a lot of different bits of conversation to give to you.
0: <laughs> I'm happy to hear it. But before we really dive into Domains of Shadows, Nathan, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself?
1: I am I am Nathan Cavalier, blossoming indie roleplaying system designer. Currently, right now, I'm being uh, I'm choosing my company's brand as Wheel of the Weird roleplaying. It's nothing official yet. It's but as I'm hoping to create more games, I'm hoping that that will attract more attention than just my standard name. My mission is to design systems that recognize the potential of roleplaying to not just be an experience of entertainment but a form of art that can be used to question the human condition, and cultivate a growthful mindset. It's, um, something that I saw as kind of an untapped potential in a lot of role-playing systems, is to actually create it for outside audience, or be used as closer to an art form. I was heavily, I was heavily inspired by the works of Avery Alder, creator of Dream Apart, Jason Morningstar, creator of Fiasco, And Stephen Dewey, the creator of Ten Candles, as well as other revolutionary designers in the role-playing world. They created a lot of the conventions behind the traditions of GM-less systems, story games, and although I don't really prescribe to GNS theory, narrativist role-playing is a pretty good goal for what I'm doing.
0: Yeah.
1: And another thing that should be noted is that all the products that are going to be published through Weird of the Wheel will be freely available to all. I don't plan on ever uh, charging... For any of the things I, system I make
0: now or in the future, that's a really cool goal. There, just to have something that's there for people to discover and see for themselves. So, what is domains of shadow? How how descriptive do you want it to be? <laughs> as descriptive as you'd like.
1: Okay, then I'll give um some basic. Domains of shadow is a GMless story game of gothic horror and Shakespearean tragedy. It is especially designed to tell stories that would be presented as actual play performances and, sh- um, and are meant to be just as enjoyable to an outside audience as the people actually playing this. Almost all of the mechanics in the system were built around what this can be best done to most facilitate an audio play format uh, uh, to, to maintain as—to to basically push as much as possible to in-character action and to, uh, to showing rather than telling— to create an actual more, a more theatrical method meant to kind of uh, smooth pacing, to cre- create drama and have some streamlined rules that seldom ever uh, come up so that uh, you can tell it as something closer to improver standio- standard radio play.
0: That's actually really cool. There are some really great GMless systems out there that are seeming to kind of, not pushed towards better actual play podcast styles, but they are sometimes easier for listeners of those styles of entertainment to fall into. How does Domain of Shadows set itself up to be used as an, an actual play style? So the main
1: thing that I was thinking of is, when studying actual plays, one thing I observed was the main thing that probably... Kept you know people from doing the entertainment is, ex- Let's talk about length of how many of these actual plays are. Usually a session is like three hours. To tell a full story can oftentimes take several campaigns. This is very inaccessible to the audience if they need to watch twenty four hours of content to play a whole story. What domains of shadow does is it was inspired heavily by fiasco as well as some other GM less role playing in a way that condenses it down so the story can be told an hour. And not well, an hour's pretty short, but two hours or three hours rather than the standard campaign play. Yeah. The main way it does that is rather than telling the story continuously in one stream, where it's just kind of where it's you know kind of negotiated between GM and players, and you move on what whatever pace necessary. What's going on with domains of shadow is there are multiple distinct scenes which aren't necessarily continuous in time. You only play out the dramatically important things or the ones that people want to, so. Once a scene ends, if there's any kind of, like, planning periods or any just logistical things that would need to be talked about, um, you know, purchasing of equipment or or any of those other tasks related to planning, then those would occur off-screen. And then you would move on to a, ne- onto a, onto a next scene. It's basically said that any details in the story which aren't relevant to cover or wouldn't be important for the audience you can skip over and you can focus on always you know those those more impactful and uh, or climatic scenes that was heavily inspired by fiasco which um if you've ever seen actual player senior session you can see that in play
0: and those are some of the most popular games right now i'm finding a lot of people are kind of coming along and seeing those games and they're wanting to play it so if if I understand right, the idea of having the GMless system is more so to streamline the conversation and kind of avoid the rules as talk but keep the story going.
1: Yes, the GMless the major reason why I was doing this GMless is because when you have a GM, your players can't just do things. They have to get it past the GM for approval. Now, sometimes that can be quick, and it's not necessarily a problem, but on actual plays, you will look through a conversation, and sometimes they'll have to spend some time negotiating. The player has to negotiate between the DM, between what is acceptable and what they should know, which doesn't, which can kind of make it hard for an audience to feel immersed in it, and sometimes even the players. What GM-less systems do is that you don't need to go through that extra level of processing you can invent details into the storyline that would facilitate or make it go quicker. If you're not... This, I mean, even came up in the first, uh, in, you know, in some of the playtests, it's kind of like the details if... If you don't know, if you don't, say, know how many lifeboats your uh, ship has when a crash occurs, normally you would have to ask the GM that kind of detail, and they would need to kind of make a guess and you would have an argument. With a GML system like this, you can just state how many would be reasonable or dramatic for the scene. It, it, it doesn't require that extra level of processing so that it can be done in in action and in character rather that, than expressed out of character, which is meant to increase immersion in the story and allow the audience to not see those like designers' notes during the play.
0: Okay, I, I kind of get that. That's really cool. One of the things I really like about Domain of Shadows here is also that it runs on non-continuous stories for the most part, from what I understand. You sent me a little bit of the playtest in the first draft, and as you said, you can hear a story over the course of 24 hours via podcast. But Domains of Shadows aims to cut that down into smaller chunks, almost the best thing I can compare it to in modern TV, I guess would be Black Mirror. So it's these bite-sized stories instead of huge sprawling campaigns. Is that a good way to describe Domain of Shadows? That was
1: actually exactly what I was thinking. In fact, um, I was actually thinking of creating an actual play podcast based off of this, and I was already thinking of doing that kind of a Twilight Zone or Black Mirror structure, where every di- you, you have a new story every single time. It's... Uh, being told with different characters a self-contained story
0: okay yeah i really like that and you mentioned characters there something super cool to me is actually how you've described characters in domains of shadows as not necessarily needing to be one main person but a maybe even like a a small faction could you kind of go into details about kind of setup and characters and how people can hop into this game right from the get-go
1: so, like all standard role-playing games, um, during this you pl- uh, each uh, during this you players or the actors are obviously responsible for telling through the characters. Each player will have basically the characters in the story are split into what are called main characters and supporting characters. Every every actor will have one main character that they are playing, and these are the ones that are central to the story and have more rules to reference to them. Then there will be supporting characters, which are everyone else who are improvised on, the, who are improvised. The story is told. The main difference is that the main characters actually have certain text write-ups or de- things for development. I can't quite get into that now, but basically, main characters are the thing for changing, where supporting characters are assumed to be static. Uh, and that's uh, typically how it's organized. Organized with that, but now back to kind of what you were mentioning is that. So a main character in this case, or even a supporting character, isn't necessarily a conventional character. It is mentioned that sometimes these can be factions, and that whenever a scene begins, whoever is playing that faction will determine, you know, who is in that scene, or just kind of what groups or members of that. Some, you know, examples are, like, the servants of the castle, the soldiers in an army, or the crew of a, or, you know, the crew of a ship. These are based in Shakespearean stage directions, so that instead of, you know, representing a single person, you can also choose to represent a group. Although this has also come up less frequently, sometimes even things which aren't really thinking people in the conventional sense can be characters, such as a, an especially important location that changed a lot can't even be a character. A, you know, a haunted house, or an especially tense environment, or... I think one of the playtests, we even had the boat as the ship that the characters were on as a character. It's basically anything that has a chance for change over the story, and due to its Gothic and Shakespearean trappings, usually that change is of corruption. Anything which can be developed in corruption over the story is given a, char- a role as a character.
0: And the corruption within Domains of Shadows actually seems to play a really large note of it especially when you're going through you mentioned this is a tragedy kind of style set up with shakespearean i noticed that there's you said fiasco a little bit of lovecraftian call cthulhu stuff going on and the thing that you've named this is the other world and specifically the blight how do those factor into telling a progressive gothic horror story
1: there aren't many mechanics and domains of shadow aside from the things about framing scenes which which, I mean, I could get into those, but those are pretty simple. The other main mechanic is in it is the Blight. And the main thing here is that, while an expert improver could probably represent how a character changes over time well, none of us are really expert improvers, and what the Blight is supposed to do is supposed to give guidance into the reflection of your character, kind of falling prey to these tragic flaws or traits that would uh, that would hinder them. Usually this comes from a place called the otherworld. And very little is known about this, but what it is known is that some energies will seep from that other world and it will cause people to act in ways that bring kind of th- th- their destruction. Anytime a character, a main character would interact with the blight or feel especially strong emotions, they would increase a certain value in one of their traits, because each character is defined by a set of one-word traits, it would add, replace, or remove a trait to reflect the growing influence of the Blight. There are a few different uh, types for this, And if it gets high enough, then that character can suffer from a tragic downfall, which is pretty self-explanatory what's happening there. So there is actually a way to... So the tragedy isn't just a setting element, there are actually mechanics to represent the gradual collapse into this, the development of the traits that continue to make it worse, and then the eventual downfall as a result of it.
0: And there are different domains that lead into the themes for each of the Blights, correct?
1: Yes, there are multiple types of the Blights. Although the system, if you can tell already, was modeled off of Call of Cthulhu's sanity system, it is different in it in a number of key ways, namely that... Namely, that there are different kind of values for the different types of blights that the characters can be affected by. There's four of them, and each of them are related to a different kind of emotion emotion or set of themes. The first of the four, the Blight of Shadow, is associated with betrayal, conspiracy, dread, fear, and paranoia. And as a character becomes infected with this blight, they become... Gradually more convinced that everyone and everything is acting against them, and that they need to take desperate actions to protect themselves at all costs. The reason why this leads to a tragic downfall is because it causes the person to lose sight of what the actual real threats are, to distance themselves from friends or allies, and to never take proper consideration of what is actually bringing them because they're too busy jumping at their own shadow, or, th- or, or threats which just aren't feasible. Uh, usually those kind of events are triggered whenever a character re- reveals something that would make them lose their trust, as is suffering a betrayal, um, uncovering signs of a conspiracy against them or someone they care about, or understanding that a monster can shapeshift or use illusions and the like. The second, the second form of the Blight is the Blight of Rot. This one is associated with apathy, callousness, decay, disease, and eh, d- disease, disgust, and pollution. What What happens here is that when a character is affected by the blight of the blight of rot, they'll begin to grow careless and they'll begin to kind of stop stop ignoring those, the ag- they'll start ignoring the things that they shouldn't and growing apathetic and careless. It's Basically, what is attractive and why these people often turn to this is because it can kind of seem like, because you're ignoring the pain, like some kind of strength. But what it's actually doing is ignoring the things that are actually causing the problems in the first place. And that's often the, related to the tragic downfall, is person under the blight of rot isn't necessarily aware of what will bring bring them to get, you know, arrested, physically harmed, or killed, depending on whatever the player wants to figure as their downfall. The Blight of Frost has to do with dreams, lethargy, deep thought, and sorrow. And what happens here with the Blight of Frost, the people that come in contact with it get lost in their own thoughts, kind of trapped into the realm of thought, and start dissociating and ignoring their body. And the reason why this... And this gets in the way because it prevents someone from taking the action because they just kind of think through everything. So that the actual things that, uh, you know, if there are any forces moving against them, that the person will be unprotected and unable to do anything to to stop some of the, the issues relevant. This was heavily modeled off of... A, I'll explain that later. <laughs> uh, the, the Blight of Fire is associated with destruction, hatred, rage, violence, and war. What happens with the Blight of Fire is that they become gradually... The Blight of Fire occurs... You know, when someone is exposed to violence, especially if they do it themselves or encounter resistance, they'll become gradually more and more convinced that their righteousness of their cause and the need for violence to solve it, and it leads into... A cycle where they kind of lose sense of almost, they almost become so dogmatic that they lose sense of their original goals, and it becomes uh, and and it becomes uh, destructive. These were modeled off of various some um, Shakespearean characters and uh, gothic ones, uh, based off of several gothic and Shakespearean characters. Uh, blight of fire, you can, uh, blight of fire. It, is kind of a behavior for. Uh, it was actually heavily insp- inspired by uh, Laert- Laertes from Hamlet, as well as debatably Macbeth and Claudius. Um, and even if we're going to the Gothic things, something like tend to be the more monstrous characters like Dracula, the later stages of the monster, uh, and, and Victor Frankenstein can be seen as representations of the Blight of Fire. The blight of frost was actually heavily inspired by Hamlet's behavior in Hamlet, and can be seen in a lot of the goth, the gothic characters, as well, especially ones of Kafka or Lovecraftian ones. The blight of rot, you can even see some of statements from Macbeth's, from you know Macbeth, some of his statement, some of his, several of his statements have to do have to do with uh, kind of losing the interest in that as well as. This can be seen in a few Lovecraftian ones as well, and just in just in general, any of the, any of the power-related stories that have that descent into madness theme. The blight of shadow, as you, I even I think I include the same image in the book, can be seen in, th- in can be seen in in Julius Shakespeare. <laughs> As um, And things like Dr. and Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, or other things where non-obvious threats become very ba- bad problems, and you can see that affecting and playing on the characters, how the betrayers can become just as paranoid, because they know what they would do.
0: So, let's step away from Domains of Shadows for a little bit. One thing that I've noticed about you during this is that you... You seem to be a huge fan of both Shakespeare and Gothic, Gothic material in general. How do those pique an interest for you?
1: What I think, I'll start kind of with the Gothic horror element. Is although people think that you know Gothic horror is heavily outdated or probably not relevant, what I what I actually find is that it was written, it was written at a time where a lot of the world was changing and coming into what it is now, that 19th century period. And it was heavily dealing with, you know, very criticism of what was... And the Gothic was almost very critical of the kind of societal movements or the positions that were going going along. And what I like about the Gothic core is I think it's actually very relevant to today and helps you process through several of... And I think it's kind of almost helped me think through and process several of the major things that are, e- that, that are elements of, a uh, modern day. This, these are, these are topics like lack, these are topics like lack of faith and, uh, reliability of science, um, you know, the, the costs of boldness or, or searching, a uh, too deep, how, you know, it, it, the, the, the extent to which emotions control behavior, how, um, how people in power can become corrupted, and even those who can't, um, how women fit into society, uh, how our envir- exploration with nature and how we relate to it. The Gothic heavily, re- heavily involves many of these topics, which are very important to us living in the modern world, and, I th- and presents them in a way that really leads to a growthful mindset, and, understanding and an under- better understanding of the world and ourselves.
0: It's it's like a mirror into how things are going right now. I find that there's been a lot of revitalization into, at least into the interest of gothic and specifically gothic horror, like you said, with how things have been going in the world right now.
1: In some ways, you could uh, even consider a lot of the gothic ones were both showing the time and prophesying several things to come, especially conflicts like the la- the, lo- the loss of faith what happens when you disconnect to nature? What happens when you th- try to embrace and understand things that you can't? What happens when you try to ignore or push away emotions? What happens when you trust authority too much? Yeah, things like that. I think yeah. those were all what the gothic story centered around. I think they were both telling what was, doing, what was developing there at that time and almost, you could say, prophesying or interpreting what is going on right now.
0: Yeah, it definitely looks that way. history repeating itself in the such. So the other thing I wanted to know though, in that question was, what draws you to Shakespeare and um, the Shakespearean tragedies that he is so very well known for?
1: So I actually, so the main thing that I like about Shakespeare is fundamentally all of his are studies into human behavior. Now they're oftentimes dramatic things, but what they do is yeah. they they take kind of a look at you know the basic parts of human behavior and how they interact in all of the different ways. He's written everything from tragedies to histories to to comedies. What I like about Shakespeare is that repris- I know some people can find it overcomplicated, but what he does and what I think is important in a lot of storytelling is brings up many different elements how they're important and how they're interlinked it's a world of interlinking parts where both inside and even between plays things affect each other and where and where and you know where where, where themes repeat it creates this kind of world of you know a relationship as well as you know explorations of several like the effect of you know society on behavior. Uh, especially in types of you know like militant you know especially militant or academic mentalities shakespeare is almost in a way kind of a m- m- kind of a combination there between philosophy and so- uh, philosophy and psychology it's an analysis of the it's an analysis of basically everything related to humanity but in a way that doesn't distance humanity and actually sees it from the inward perspective. That's all of theater in general, but Shakespeare is uh, one of the most available resources.
0: Yeah, 100% he is. Um, one of the things that's been coming up a lot recently with tabletop games is Sensitivity. And Domain of Shadows feels like there are a lot of things that can be taken and abused in the system if someone's not not fair to their group, I should say, or the people who are performing and playing it with them. So I know that you have come up with a number of safety mechanisms that can be gone over in regards to that. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the things that can be done with Domains of Shadows to make sure that it's an enjoyable experience for everybody as well One as the One thing audience. I would like to
1: state is that first thing is actually a misconception. A lot of people tend to think that due to the horror or tragedies or, you know, tragic elements, while it is sadder, this isn't necessarily in ways that a lot of people will find openly disturbing. Because what, I, what, what needs to be said here is that although the gothic in Shakespearean can get dark if it gets violent, it usually occurs off-screen or is not described in detail or not given a big part of the story. What you'll actually find is this is actually a lot less explicit or harmful than most other games because in D&D or something like Pathfinder you have a lot of violence including, you know, especially disturbing manners like medieval weaponries, fires, acids, gases, but biological weapons, which seldom ever show up in the system. In fact, in fact, actually, from what I've run into, you might have one or two fights that are largely abstracted. So far, almost minimal sexual content haven't had much to do with drugs. Uh, I haven't... I mean, I've seen a few bits here and there of alcohol. None of the groups I've had dealt with themes of abuse, though. You, you're not more, any more likely to do it here than in something like D&D. I mean, to be completely honest, yeah. that's... I think that's a common misconception: is that a lot of people see the horror in Shakespearean, but really, you're going if really you're dealing with a lot heavier themes in D and D because you're dealing with a very violent and cruel and an almost nihilistic world that reduce it down to hit points, which this doesn't mm-hmm. do. So I mean, I always just tend to use uh, to I always like to use safety tools, obviously but I just think that's something that should be used generally yeah. for role-playing. I don't... If you can handle the type of very messed up things that occurs in most D&D and Pathfinder games, which have been so violent that even I've been turned off from them, then I don't know how you could possibly be disturbed by anything in Domains of Shadow.
0: That's really good to hear, because I know that a... Especially in the independent developer side of things, indie games appeal to a very different audience than d and D. A A lot of the times people have been turned off from the big tabletop role-playing games that by their rules as written sort of lack those safety mechanisms as more than just like a check with your group kind of thing um i've i've heard i mean there's entire entire pages on the internet to describe the horror stories that people have had with their their dungeon masters and i think one of the things that really helps domains of shadows here is that it is GMless. Uh, can you explain that connection between why why it would be easier if
1: it's GMless to stay content safe?
0: Okay, so yeah, one of the things I've noticed is a lot of the times a lot of these horror stories happen from either a bad player, but more times that I've seen from these things, it tends to come from a um, a power tripping DM is the best way to explain it. Um, I've had a couple. It's it's not common. I would, say, I would say that for the most part, most people know to stay away from certain topics, but in these power heavy worlds, you see it happen more frequently than, I guess I should say that due to D&D's big net and Pathfinder's big net, they attract a much larger audience and you're just, there's just higher chance to run into different people
1: i will also you know state i kind of brought this up earlier but
0: mm-hmm.
1: i mean i always i've heard people say like i i've heard kind of people say i don't want to deal with dark themes then go to D and i'm like what's going on in D is a lot of especially with kind of something with hit points is D is also very centered on violence which and especially it's not even like it's like, it's one thing for, like, to see someone shot, but in D&D you have things, people being burned alive, like choking on toxic gases, hmm. biological, um, things that, if used in real life, would be considered war crimes, which are yeah. standard, The defi- no one thinks second about a firebolt in D&D. No. And I think it's also kind of D&D's, you know, it kind of reduces the people down to hit points. Like, it usually doesn't care if, it's just kind of common that, you know, one of the enemies dies, um. And I think what can happen example, D&D with desensitizing is you're just so used to having these masses like goblins, orcs, just dying left and right mm-hmm. that when you finally reach the point where someone can't handle it, it's just hard to imagine that because, you know, like there's a body count of 20 going on in the last uh, session. It just... Yeah. It would probably feel... I think that's also just kind of... It's, you know, to take... To take you know that entertainment or not guilt from Mm -hmm. a violent form of entertainment you have the distance yourself and i feel like that's definitely a big fault is that sometimes that distancing doesn't always work
0: yeah it can it can be tricky so a big thing about wheel of weird wheel of the weird and the stuff you're putting out is you've directly stated that you want to look at actual plays and role-playing as an art form versus just being a game. What are some of the ways you think that people can experience and get that insight?
1: So let me state that really um, the definition of fine arts is pretty soft. What I mean in this case is that what I mostly mean in this case that it's actually worthy of some study and viewing by an outside audience. Okay. I know that. I mean, I know that some people would debate with me. I would consider most sports an art form. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that mainly my comment there is that it's not something that a bunch of uh, people are doing math in the basement for. It, you know, it should be something that should kind of be looked for for how can it explain certain concepts? How can it be used to teach? How can you know? How can it be used to appeal to an audience? So I think that's the main thing that I'm referring to in an art form in 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 truth i'm in truth i don't that more has to do with changing of logistical details um but i do think that there are some design things that can make it accessible outside of the direct play that art form thing is basically the opinion that it should be relevant to someone other than the artist or in this case the player
0: okay no that makes a lot of sense i think a lot of people can resonate with that we are actually starting to run pretty low on time here, but I got I got two more questions for you. Um so obviously a big thing that's been happening this past couple of years has been COVID. How has COVID affected the development of Domains of Shadows, considering it started its development prior to the actual pandemic?
1: So to be completely honest, before the pandemic outbreak I was mostly research and design. I was going to have to do playtesting online anyway, because Although game stores, I do have game stores around me, they're <laughs> very D&D-centric, and yeah. I couldn't get many playtests for this. So really, it hasn't affected my system's progress much at all. I would have to have gone online anyway. Okay. In some ways, it might have helped, because more people went online. Yeah. But yeah, it didn't really slow me down. It's a digital-only product, so no printing errors. Okay. Yeah, so it really didn't get in the way, to be honest.
0: <laughs> so it didn't really get in the way, but it did give you time, I'm assuming, to kind of work on it more.
1: Uh, I don't know how much it gave me more time. I still, have a <laughs> I still had a, I still a uh, job.
0: You, you were like me and had to work, too. I totally understand that. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been great. Nathan, where can people find more about you, more about Wheel of the Weird, and Domains of Shadows?
1: Probably the best
0: ways to contact me is
1: through my email at at ncavalier60 at gmail dot com, which is currently my base email or you can con- you can contact me through Discord at this ID. I also freak. I use Discord for most playtesting and a lot of forum discussion.
0: Yeah, everything that you're sending me will definitely be um posted in the links down below, so
1: and if you really want to, you can talk to me through Facebook Messenger, though I conduct very few activities outside of. Yeah. <laughs> though I guess if we are discussing, up, uh, if we are discussing, up, um, one thing I would like to give a big shout out for, ins- for where I learned of several systems to inspire me to, you know, where I learned of several systems where I had a lot of discussion is, um, there is a certain, a specific Facebook group called, uh, I'm begging you to play another, another TTRPG, another RPG, in reference to <laughs> uh, 5e. And I have gotten so many useful things for roleplaying. It's it's probably one of the best resources if you're looking for roleplaying outside the world of D&D. It has okay. uh, many great resources and great discussions. Obviously, by the title, they can get a little petty at points, but they're usually a good lot.
0: I'm I'm glad that you found a community that's there to help you and support building this game. It's shaping up to be something really interesting. The um, the detail you go into in the PDF for the draft alone is exquisite. It's it's very I could sit down and run a not run, but like bring a group of people and we could play this in like under an hour of looking at it. So I'm very excited to see where Domains of Shadows and the rest of the wheel of the weird goes.
1: I guess kind of one thing I would like to plug at the end is a 100%. Not really sure who's listening here. Um this project is supposed to be looked be um looked at by the end of the su- by the end of the summer. Okay. And I currently am trying to look for an artist to do a cover art for it. Okay. So far that's been a very involved and complicated process <laughs> if there are any artists or people who know anyone that would be good with kind of this gothic or tragic art please uh come into contact uh with me and uh to, so so we, so we can work work things' Cause by now the design is becoming really to a close. Okay. I need to do some things from graphic design and I want more playtests in mm-hmm. but by this point we're into the very final stages of producing this it's just not being it's just uh not being uh sold so there's no Kickstarter
0: yeah. Okay, well, if you know an artist, please get in contact with Nathan. His links will all be down below. Nathan, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about Domains of Shadows with us.
1: Yep. Thank you for uh, having
0: me. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Nathan at Domains of Shadows is scheduled for launch very soon. Have a good night. Bye. Thank you to Nathan for coming onto the show this week. If you're an artist or you know one looking for some work, please consider sending him a message and seeing if you can work something out. And thank you for listening. There's been a huge jump in listeners lately, and it's it's been incredibly humbling. If you like the show and you want to hear more, please consider leaving a review or mentioning it to a friend, because word of mouth is the best way to grow next week we have a very cool episode which will be featuring the new sign language role playing game Inspir Isles and it's Queer Rich I hope to see you there